And please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. While you're turning there, just a reminder, uh, I know some of you may not be able to head down to the valley in a couple weeks to the Grove Conference, but I just want to flesh out a little bit more of why that could be a good use of time if you're able to go down. Uh, It's a conference where we're joining with uh, eight other churches, nine other churches, I'm sorry, uh, who believe the same things we do about men's and women's roles in the home and in the church, believe the same ways that we do about the importance of a meaningful um, membership in a local church, believe the same things we do about teaching the Bible verse by verse. These churches believe the same things we do about even the fact that God is the author of salvation. He is the one who determines. He is the one who gives mercy. It's His will, and He is good and gracious to do that. So we join with a number of churches, and we're just starting on this journey with these churches. It's a couple years old, and uh, we just recognized a couple years ago that all of us want to see more healthy churches around. All of us want to do our part in that, and so many times, in so many ways, churches try to plant churches on their own, and that can be done, praise the Lord. Uh, But what if there were a number of churches that had resources and people and teachers and future elders and Bible study leaders who would maybe join together to do that? And so we're on the, we're in the early stages of that, um, but I'd invite you to head down to that conference and meet some of these members of other churches. We pray for them often on Sunday mornings. Some of you have gone to those churches when you've been traveling. Some of you went to the conference last year, the Grove Conference last year, the first one, and it's just a great way to remind yourself that God is doing a work in this state, not just in this room. (laughs) Uh, He's working throughout our community up here. He's also working down there in the valley, and it's just a great way to fellowship with like-minded believers and to really pray together, be united together uh, to see the Lord's kingdom grow. That is why we're here, to make Him known. And in the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, you see churches joining together to meet different needs and to see the gospel go forth. So I'm excited about this conference. Uh, The theme is going to be the book of Philippians. So a number of pastors are going to be teaching through the book of Philippians, which is all about a church united for the purpose of gospel growth. And sometimes in those churches, conflict arises. So how do we work through the conflict to keep focused on the mission? What a great topic for the Grove Conference. Uh, if you're interested in going to that, you can see the website, see the worship guide. Uh, it is free to attend the conference for people coming from Prescott. Uh, they had mercy on us. They know about gas prices and hotel rooms and things like that. So uh, it's free to go to the conference. Just register so we know uh, how many people are coming. It's going to be at the Church on Mill in a couple of weekends. Even if you can just go for Friday night or just Saturday morning, uh, that'd be fine as well. But I'd love to see a number of you there if you're able to make it. All right, that does not count as preaching time. We can start the clock now. <laughs> Ecclesiastes eleven seven through 12, 8. Please follow along as I read. <clears throat> Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, 
before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity." I've entitled this message, God Preaches to the Youth Group. As a former youth pastor, one of the regular tasks that I would have is to, uh, with other leaders in the ministry, pray and think and determine uh, what the topic would be at any given retreat or summer conference or camp that we were putting on. What do we think these students need right now? And therefore, what theme should we pick and how should we arrange the messages and the, the Bible passages to fit that theme and really preach a weekend-long or a week-long message? In addition to that, we would think through who would be a capable speaker and uh, a teacher that is gifted and knows certain portions of Scriptures that can really teach these passages to these students. So we would think about topic, we would think about the right teacher, As I read through this passage, I'm struck that this is God speaking to the youth group. God stands at the pulpit through the pen of Solomon and has some words to say, some exhortations, some encouragements for young people. And so it's important when God speaks to young people to take note of that. So if you are in this room and you are young, which is what, like 99% of you, then this is for us to understand and to know. I do think there is a line drawn somewhat, maybe somewhat faintly in this passage as to who are the young people and who are the older people. See, at the end of the passage, there's a lot of talk about how the body is wearing down and wearing away. And I think those are the older people Solomon has in mind and those who haven't had the difficulties of the body breaking down and wearing down, those are the younger people that he has in his mind. I think there's encouragement for young people in this passage. Obviously, there's exhortations written just to them, but I think there's also some hope to be found for older people, even as we find our, body, our bodies deteriorating. There is some hope to be found in this passage. God here in Ecclesiastes 7, 11, 7 through 12, 8, speaks to young people about how they should live while in the prime of their life. So young people, if you're one who's here, whose body hasn't started breaking down yet, getting tired for no reason, if you're in that camp, this is a passage God has given for you. We'll divide it up into two parts. I think that's how the passage 
best breaks down. Two lessons for those in the prime of life. Two lessons for those in the prime of life. And before the first lesson, there's an opening proverb in verse 7. Let's notice it before we get to the first lesson. Proverbs 11.7, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 11.7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Light in this passage, as in other places in the Scriptures, in other places in Solomon's writings, light speaks of being alive. Darkness speaks of death. So light, being alive, is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's a privilege and a joy to wake up every morning. It's a privilege to be alive. It's a blessing to breathe, to have life, to see the sun. And so he starts off this section just with that truism, that reality. It's a blessing to be alive. Now, in light of the fact that you're alive and you're young, two lessons for you while you're in the prime of your life. First lesson, 11, 8 through 10, chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, rejoice in your youth. Enjoy being young, Solomon says. Enjoy being young, God says. Why? Well, here's one reason. Because you won't feel this way your whole life. You won't spring out of bed without any aches or pains your whole life. You won't do the physical activities you do with almost hardly any consequence your whole life. You'll just feel good. You won't struggle to sleep through the night your whole life. Or, sorry, you will at some point struggle to sleep through the night. You're probably not right now. Enjoy that. You won't be as sharp mentally your whole life, but you are now. Enjoy being young. This isn't how life always goes. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness, the days in the grave, Old Testament way of talking about the grave, death, the days of darkness will be many. So we could summarize this saying, all the days that you have are gifts, they are light, they are good, enjoy them, because one day they'll end. And then Solomon says something that he often does say, all that comes is vanity. There's a dissatisfaction, there's a temporary aspect to the future that doesn't satisfy. He'll say that again at the end of our passage. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man or young woman, in your youth. Rejoice, young person, in your youth. Be happy with the fact that you're sharp mentally, that your body functions the way it does. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Rejoice in the fact that you're young. You've, you've got a mind that is what it is. You've got a body that is what it is. You've got abilities and skills. So let your heart that's inside of you with all of those faculties, let that drive you into a life of joy. Do things that you enjoy. Work hard and find pleasure in that. Have friends. Laugh. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment God's aware of all you're doing. This isn't a call to just 
living any way you want, like, like some sort of hedonistic lifestyle that includes all sorts of sinful pleasures. So just do whatever you want. Behind all of this is an assumption that you revere the Lord, that you fear the Lord, as Solomon has been saying all throughout the book. That's why he can say, walk in the ways of your heart. Now, doesn't the Old Testament say, the prophet Jeremiah, doesn't he say in chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else? Who can understand it? I mean, it's really wicked. We don't even know the depths of it. Yes, he does. That's why we can understand when he says here in verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart, he's assuming that there's a fear of the Lord that governs your heart. There's a reverence for the Lord. There's a desire to please Him, the joy that you have in Him. With that being the case, now do what your heart desires. Psalm 37 says that God puts desires into our heart, new desires, new loves, new joys. And the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36 said that one day God would give a new covenant people, of which we are, He would give us a new heart. So with this heart that beats after the Lord, wants to obey and love and serve the Lord, worships the Lord, is grateful to the Lord for who He is, with that heart, do what your heart desires. Go. Go on trips. Serve His kingdom. Love Him. Love others. Enjoy the life He's given you. This is the call to the young person. And know that for all these things, God is watching. He knows. You'll give an account for all these things. But live life before God with joy and gladness and purpose. He's made you alive. He's made you this age for a reason. He's given you your mind for a reason. Use it. Find joy in it. And I want to highlight something to you that the world's not going to tell you. The world's going to preach a message to you that we're the ones that have fun. Christians, Christ followers, people that think of God, they're the ones that are just good people and boring. Do not believe that lie. Do not believe that lie. In fact, you pursue the world's pleasure and notice how happy they are. They actually aren't at the end of the day. It brings pain and sorrow, death, But when you live in light of the Creator, remember this, God is the giver of life. When God organizes the world and instruction and parameters and all that, He does so for the purpose of life. He gives good gifts. So when you live in light of the Creator and take joy in that, there is joy and life and abundance that comes from that. Please do not believe the lie that Christianity following God is somehow boring somehow not meant for your joy. God is a God of joy. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses preaches this sermon. At the end of Deuteronomy, he actually rebukes the people for not serving the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100 is is a call to the worshiping community. Serve the Lord with gladness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Christian missions are for the joy of all peoples, says the psalmist, so that all people would come to enjoy God and the life that He gives. Christianity is a religion of joy. Being a follower of God is one where you're in a relationship with a God who gives you joy. Please do not believe the lie. Now let me 
talk to some people who call themselves Christians and who are super grumpy. You're not helping to preach the message of the Scriptures. God is a giver of joy. And when you do this and frown at everybody in your church or in your community or in your home or wherever it is you're frowning, it's not a good testimony. Well, the world's so broken. I know. Solomon knows. But his refrain over and over again is, take joy, rejoice, have joy. One writer said, Christians should be full of joy because we get double joy. We know what's coming in the future, a world of joy, and even amidst a cursed world, we can enjoy the good gifts God gives us in the meantime. We have double joy. The world only has one joy. They can take some gifts that God gives as common grace and enjoy them now, but they won't enjoy them in the future. We get double joy. The fruit of the Spirit includes joy. So, young person, know that the happiest life is the one lived in light of God, knowing Him as a good creator who gives you things to enjoy, gives you things to use, gives you things to do. Derek Kidner talked about the idea. He's a commentator. He's written on Ecclesiastes. He talked about the idea of enjoying life, but you don't do it divorced from God, separate from God. You do it in light of God. Kidner said this, joy was created to dance with goodness. Joy wasn't created to dance alone. I'll pursue my own joy, do whatever I want, separate from God. No, joy wasn't meant to dance alone. Joy dances with goodness and it's a blast. It's wonderful. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. Now, listen to what Solomon's saying here to the young person. Take joy in the life God's given you. Do what your new heart, your heart that beats after God, do what your heart wants to do. Live life. Enjoy life. Remove vexation from your heart. What he's saying is don't Don't let the troubles of this world weigh you down to where you're not enabled to enjoy things God's given you. Well, you don't know what's going on between me and my friends. You don't know what's going on with that person at school, that teacher, that parent, that guardian, whoever it may be. You just don't understand the pressures of life. No, I do, and Solomon does, and God does. This isn't saying, hey, just be happy, nothing is wrong. The Bible's not saying that. There are things that are wrong. Solomon's been going through a book highlighting all the things that are wrong. In light of the fact that many things are wrong, there are things to be grateful for and to enjoy. And that's why Solomon is saying, don't let the troubles of life overwhelm the joy that can be found in life. Don't let that happen. Remove vexation from your heart. And put away pain from your body. Now, some of you older people are like, well, doesn't that just sound easy? <clears throat> I don't believe that Solomon's simply saying, oh, just get over the headache. Just, go, just get over the arthritis. <clears throat> I believe Solomon's talking about a pain that's associated with evil, a pain that's associated with wickedness. So remove that sort of trouble from your life your own foolishness and the trouble that it brings, remove that from your life. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, 
For the youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They are temporary. There will be perhaps a long time to live with lots of troubles. So right now, when your mind is what it is, when your hands are what they are, when your feet are what they are, when your muscles are strong like they are, right now, don't be weighed down by troubles. Keep pursuing joy. Find things that bring joy. The work of removing anxiety, one writer says, and frustration, the work of removing anxiety and frustration from the heart should begin early in life. Young person, look, get used to looking for good. Get used to looking for the grace that God gives, even in certain difficult situations. Get used to looking for those things, because God is a good giver of gifts, even in a difficult world. Get used to looking for those things, being thankful for little joys, for little glimpses of grace. So the first lesson for a person whose body does not ache yet and whose mind is still sharp, rejoice in your youth. Let's remember what Solomon just told us a couple, couple chapters ago about living life, and this applies to everyone. Ecclesiastes 9, remember what he said in verse 7 and following, Go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. <clears throat> Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life life that He has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. So while you have the time, enjoy life, enjoy your marriage, enjoy your work, enjoy eating meals. Find joy there. Again, we need to be careful of two extremes in the Christian life. One says everything is awesome all the time. Well, Solomon doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. Life is hard. Everything isn't always awesome all the time. But the other extreme is to say this world is horrible. My own flesh weighs me down. There is nothing to smile about, nothing to take joy in, and that's the kind of Christian I am. Well, please don't tell anyone that. The middle ground is the place to live. Life is hard, but there is joy to be found here and now, and there is certainly joy to be found in the new creation. That's how Solomon, that's how God would have us live. That's how God would have us think. So young person, rejoice. Enjoy your life. Smile, laugh, have fun, all knowing that you live life before your Creator who knows all things, governs all things, and gives you good gifts to enjoy. Also, remove vexation. Don't be vexed, troubled, irritated, annoyed, weighed down, grumpy. Certainly life is hard. Certainly life isn't always roses. But Solomon has been urging us to find joy in life as God gives it. To an older person, you might be thinking, well, those days are gone. It's just gloomy now. All it is is gloom. People are going on vacations. I've got 12 doctor's appointments tomorrow. That's, that's not fun. <clears throat> the, 
being a follower of God makes a difference. Being one who reveres, the God, reveres God makes a difference in life. Speaking of light and darkness, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 112. Light dawns, and he doesn't say for the youth. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. So life and enjoying life isn't just for young people. Actually, for the one that's upright, and the old, it's the Old Testament way of saying one who is characterized by righteousness, one who's a follower of God, light dawns on them. Light, life dawn, dawns on them. So for the one who is a follower of God, one who belongs to God, there is a certain light that comes, a certain life that comes, even when you are the one who's older. Why? Why would God give a good gift to His followers who are known as the upright? Why, why would He continue to give them signs of life and blessings and flourishing? Why? Psalm 112.4, because He's gracious, merciful, and righteous. This is the kind of God we serve. Remember, Solomon's talking a lot about life under the sun, life that seems so often apart from God. And under the sun, our last years, our last decades are really gloomy. But remember that there's still joy to be found. The rest of the Scriptures talk to us about life not just under the sun, but life lived in light of having a relationship with the eternal God. And one place where it gives hope to the older person is light dawns in the darkness for the upright, not just the youth, but for the upright, because God's gracious, merciful, and righteous. Older person, you're in verse 8 also. Chapter 11, verse 8, look up at it. See, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice in all the years of your life. Again, that's not just something for the younger person. That's the preface before he starts talking to the younger person in verse 9. So one who reveres the Lord is to rejoice in all of their days. You might not feel like you did. There might be discouragements more than there ever were. But there are joys to be found. There are relationships to be had. There are things to do even if you're not as capable as you were. There are blessings to be had. There are things to be thankful for. There's still life to enjoy. So, young person, rejoice in your youth. Secondly, remember your Creator in your youth. <coughs> Chapter 12, 1 through 8. The exhortation here is to remember your Creator. First, you were to live a joyful life in light of the coming judgment. But now you live your life in light of the fact that you were created by a creator. The creator is the one that made you young. The creator is the one that gave you life. The creator, God, is the one who makes you vigorous and strong. There's a time coming when you won't be. So as you live your life now, remember what your creator has given you. Remember how he's ordered things for you to live in light of. Chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Young person, it's good for you to remember that as you live your life, you're not living it isolated. You're not living it alone. 
you're never living it apart from God. There's always a cord between your life and God. There's always a connection there. He's your creator. He's designed this creation for it to be lived in a particular way. And lived in that way, there's joy and flourishing in life. So as you make decisions about school and university and spouses and children, do that in light of the fact that you're a created being meant to walk a certain way with your creator that brings blessing. So live light in knowledge of the fact that you're not independent. You're a creature created by a creator. You are being cared for. You're being watched. You're being given good gifts. You're given spouses. You're given pleasure. You're given food. Why? Because God gives life. God's good. You know, being bad at theology has consequences. There's some people that teach that God created the world because he was lonely. That's bad theology. Because <laughs> then there is something wrong with God before the creation. He needed something else to be satisfied in. That, that is not what the Bible teaches. God did not create the world because he was lonely. God created the world because he's good and because he shares and because he gives. That's why he created. So, young person, as you think about living life, the whole reason you're standing, the whole reason that you live in a world that has beauty and friendships and joy and spouses and things like that, the whole reason you have all of that, you live in that type of world, is because God's gracious. He's good. So everything you do, remember, there's a good creator that's designed the world, good creator that designs how you are to live and walk. Living in light of your creator's parameters is where abundant life and joy is found. Think about this. God the creator created because he's good. He created so that you would enjoy his gifts and ultimately him. Think of, an, think of Adam and Eve walking in the garden, having relationship with God before they fell, but think of the, the joy that was there. God, this creator, is also a shepherd. Jesus Christ, the creator, is called in the scriptures a friend of sinners. Think about that, young person. You, just like the rest of us, have sinned. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, is also known as a friend of sinners. God, the Holy Spirit, is given as a comforter. Jesus himself intercedes and prays for his followers even now. The Bible says he lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews 7. Revelation 12 says that he, says, says that he prays for them day and night. Your creator is good. Your creator is a friend, a shepherd, a comfort, a guide. Your creator is one who loves you. So live in light of being connected to him. J.C. Ryle, a uh, bishop from Liverpool back in the day, wrote a number of helpful books, one that was really a blessing to me as a new Christian called Holiness. He also, write a, he also wrote a small book called Thoughts for Young Men, and I think it's helpful for young women as well. But J.C. Ryle wrote a little book to young men, Thoughts for Young Men, and in it he asked this question, young person, why would you give the best of your life 
to the devil. In the youth of your life, when your muscles are what they are, when your mind is what it is, when you don't tire as easily as you will one day, why not give that to the God who loves you? Serve Him, love Him, enjoy Him. Walk in His light. Give those days to Him. Don't sit there and say, I'm going to enjoy life for myself, disconnected from my Creator, and at the end, I'll kind of give Him the dregs, the crumbs. Well, that reveals a heart that doesn't revere the Lord. But even if your heart does revere the Lord, why would you do that? The more precious He is to you, the more you will want to serve Him and love Him. And as you do that, the more you will find joy in Him. So young person, live your life remembering your Creator from your youth. And then he says this, second part of verse 1, chapter 12. Before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say one day, I have no pleasure in them. There may be a day coming when it'll be hard to take pleasure in life. The years will come, they'll pile up, and now instead of, yay, happy new year, it's, oh my, another year. Another year of trouble. And Solomon is going to be very honest with the difficulties of these final years in the rest of this passage. He's going to do so by giving us a series of metaphors that talk about the difficulty of aging. And again, in the context, this is a call to young people, live abundantly, live vigorously, live for the Lord, live for Him in light of the fact that you're not always going to be able to live this way. He says this in 12.2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. See, to a young person, when the clouds of life come, there's hope. I'll get through this and the future will be brighter. But to the older person, it just seems like there's a lot more clouds and not as much sunshine. And so it feels like the lights are darkened, the clouds come, it's kind of heavy and hovering, the darkness is over life, and I don't really see much sunshine after that. The brightness of life is dominated by darkness on many days, difficulties and discouragements. And then he says, in verse 3, he starts to walk through our own faculties and our own body parts. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the keepers of the house, the hands, the hands that tend to all the things in the house. There are so many years where those hands are strong, fixing things, washing things, hammering things, doing things around the house, taking care of the house. And now those strong hands tremble. Go to pick up a cup, and they tremble. That's what happens. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, there was a strong man who kept the house, who kept society, who kept the city, a strong man who tended to things. And now this strong man now walks around like this. That's reality. And the grinders cease because they are few. It's not as easy to eat 
a nice firm apple, is it? Because the grinders aren't what they once were. In fact, there aren't as many of them. And the ones that are there aren't even real. <clears throat> it's part of aging. The grinders are few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. These are progressive lenses. I did not need these a year ago. Now I do, because those that look through the windows are now dimmed. The eyes don't function like they once did. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. So the things going on outside that normally you would hear aren't always heard because you can't hear as well. The ears are not what they once were. The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. But there is something you hear. Any noise around 4.30 a.m. You could be sitting in a room opening presents with your family and they're telling stories and you're saying, what? No, speak into my left ear. My left ear is better than my right. And you, you're always turning this way to listen to people. You can't hear them. But then 4.30 in the morning comes and a little bird starts chirping and you hear that. So your ears aren't what they once were, but you also wake up pretty easy as well. And sleeping through the night isn't as easy as it once was. One rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. Even your singing voice is not as strong or as vibrant as it once was. The daughters of song speaking about the voice. You can't sing as loud or as often or for as long as you'd like or like you once did. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are on the way. This talks about the journey of traveling. Even traveling is difficult. You're afraid of what is high. Walking up to the upper part of, a, of an ancient Near East home, going from not just the ground level but up to the roof where people would often have plenty of things going on up on the roof. Even that, that's, whoa, that's very high. I fall down from this, I'm done. Whereas before, I fall down maybe a broken leg. Now, when you're on the second story, it's trouble. Even curbs are awfully high as you get old. Not even curbs, just the cracks sometimes. I mean, you know this. I know this. This is just Solomon keeping it real. This is what life is like. They're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. Just walking around the block presents all sorts of trouble. You walk around the block, and for so long it was easy just to take a walk, and now someone put an open house sign on the sidewalk, and how are you going to get around that? You've got to think about it more than you used to. They're afraid of what is high. Terrors are on the way. Verse 5 continues, and the almond tree blossoms. It helps to grow up and Ripon, California, like I did, the almond capital of the world. It helps growing up there and really seeing what this passage is saying. When the almond trees blossom in the Central Valley of California or anywhere else they blossom, but 
just taking my experience, when the almond trees blossom there in February to March, the trees go from green and brown, they, they go to white, the blossoms. And you look at, a, at an orchard and it's beautiful. You drive down the country roads and they're just white, white trees. This is what happens as you get older. Your hair blossoms. <clears throat> it goes from dark to lighter and whiter. The almond trees blossom. And it's not just the blossoming of spring because life comes from that. It's like so often in February and March in the Central Valley, you've got a beautiful field, but there's fog and cold and wet and dark. So it's, there's this gray, but then all around is just kind of hovering darkness. That's kind of what it's like to grow older. The grasshopper drags itself along. You used to be like a grasshopper. I'll just hop over that sign. I'll hop over that thing. But now you are dragging yourself along. And the desire fails. I believe this is talking about the sexual desire that fails. The reason I believe that is because when the Jewish people sought to translate the Hebrew Scriptures into Aramaic around the first century, they translated this as the sexual desire failing. That's how they understood this. So you just start to not be, <clears throat> excuse me, as vigorous as you once were. Just all of life is harder and more difficult, not easy, because man is going, <clears throat> excuse me, to his eternal home. You're strong. And then things start to wear down. The eyes are, what they, are not what they once were. The ears, you just are going down to his eternal home, says Solomon. And this speaks of the grave. Old Testament writers speaking of Sheol, the eternal grave, the place of darkness. That's what Solomon's talking about. What happens when we go to the grave? Well, there are people going around the streets now that we're gone, and they're mourning. This is the idea or the, the picture of a funeral. Man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. People mourn you. They miss you. They wish they had another day with you. This is where life ends up going. And then verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. This is, this is lamp language. <laughs> A lamp may be full of oil, which gives off light. Remember what light is a picture of in this passage? Life. So there's, you've got a golden lamp with a silver cord. I mean, this talks about like an abundant life. Your life is not just, you know, something that has some light. <clears throat> I mean, it's a silver cord and a golden bowl. I mean, it's a good life. Fancy. But it's broken the oil spills, the light can't be what it was. There's no more oil. There's, no, there's nothing to light the lamp. The light goes out. Or water often being connected to life in the Bible, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. You can't collect the water like you once did. You can't collect life like you once did. You don't have any water. You don't have any more life. 
2 Samuel 14, we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. That's what's going on here. That's what Solomon's highlighting. And verse 7, and the dust returns to earth as it was. This brings your mind back to Genesis 2, right? Adam created out of the dust of the ground. Here, Solomon's saying, your life deteriorates, you get weaker, you're not as strong, and then your body returns to dust. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. God at one point breathed into your body that was being formed life. Now, that body goes back to the dust, but the Spirit goes back to God. Little glimpse of hope here, isn't there? My heart and flesh may fail, Asaph said in Psalm 73, but God is the strength of my life. Listen to this, my portion forever. So bodies fail and die, go into the grave, but the Spirit returns to God. And Solomon looks at all of this, looks at the hands failing, the eyes failing, looks at all of that and says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Life under the sun is difficult. I remember, <clears throat> told you before, I was a youth pastor, and I remember the moment I crossed over from youth to old. <laughs> I remember it. See, for so long I was, even before a youth pastor, a high school teacher, and I was just a little bit older than the students, like five or six years older. And I remember going out at lunchtime and playing basketball and being able to win and beat them, because I was still young too. And then, I don't know, about a dozen years later, I become a youth pastor, high school youth pastor, and we go to one of these retreats I told you about. I'll never forget where I was when I got older. Ramona, California at Winter Retreat, playing basketball with a group of guys. Tanner Kane was guarding me. I had the ball. I was going to fake this way and go that way quickly and score a layup. Well, it happened quickly in my mind. <laughs> it happened about half the speed in reality. I ended up tripping, Tanner got the ball, they scored, I can still hear Tanner laughing, but I remember, I distinctly remember going, that day has arrived, it's now here. And I don't know why I remembered that in that moment, but I, I remember that thinking, there's a change. This happens to everyone. Some of you have your Tanner Kane moment. Some of you, it's just been, I don't know when the moment happened, but, but I know it's here now. We have that, don't we? We get older. Our bodies are not immortal. We will have ones that are. These are not. So young people, remember your Creator in the days when everything seems to work, when your mind works, when you're healthy and vibrant Remember, live life meaningfully. Rejoice in that. Live life in light of your good creator 
who loves you and created you. Live that way. Older folks, I don't want you to end discouraged because there's more to the Bible than this. I think it's good for us to be confronted with Solomon's words as we have been all throughout the book. It's good for us to realize that's right. Life is hard. I mean, our society is all about anti-aging, anti-aging this, anti-aging that. It's just good to remember sometimes, hey, none of that works forever. I mean, you, you can do all that you want, and none of it can survive the curse. The curse comes. So, I just got a couple exhortations for some older people, okay? Beware of the constant fretting about aging. It happens to everyone. It's okay. There are certain blessings that the Bible talks about that come with aging. Seeing the fruit of some things that were sown well earlier in life, passing on the experiences and the relationship that you've had with your Creator to the next generation, the Bible speaks to those things. Having more knowledge and wisdom than younger people have, those are blessings. So beware of constantly trying to stop aging. It's okay. Let the reality of what you're going through teach and remind. I'd also encourage you to enjoy your life. Again, chapter 11, verse 8. Chapter 11, 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Solomon doesn't say, young people rejoice, older people just be grumpy and moan. No, no, no. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Find joy in some of the things that can bring joy. Find joy in some of the gifts that God has given. I know it might not be what you want or what you once had, but there is joy to be found. Finally, remember that for those who revere God, there is life beyond the grave. See, we don't lose consciousness when we die. We don't. We go to our eternal home, and for our bodies, that's the grave. For our spirits, the Apostle Paul told us, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You don't fall asleep for three hours. You close your eyes here, you wake up with God. Not with a body yet. You're not dancing around. Spiritually, in a spirit way, you're with God. You have pleasure there. There's joy there. You are happy there. You are freed from the cursed world, but there is still a time coming, and we're all waiting for it, when Christ will return and we will get our new bodies. God's desire is that we would live forever with bodies. So right now we have these, they're breaking down, they'll go into the grave, our spirit always stays alive, it's with God immediately when we die, and there's a joy there, there's a happiness there, so that when you close your eyes in this world, you are, there's nothing to be afraid of, there's nothing to uh, worry about, I don't think it's going to be good, you're with God, and Paul taught us that that's a good place to be. But we're still waiting for a time when those souls will receive new bodies that are, in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, immortal. Don't perish. He fits us that way. Now, how do we know that's going to be true? Because Jesus died once, and He rose again, 
and didn't just float around like wind. He was given a new body, and people could see him, and he ate. People could touch him. He spoke words of comfort. Jesus has a new body. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, the theme of 1 Corinthians 15 is not Jesus rose from the dead. It's Jesus rose from the dead, and so will you, and that's the Christian hope. So we close our eyes here, our spirits are with God, and then one day in the future, He gives bodies that do not die ever for us. New bodies fit for a new heavens and a new earth where there's no curse, no death that reigns. Take joy in that. So as your physical body now gets worse and worse, you're just closer to being freed from that and being with your Creator apart from a curse. And we're all today closer to having new bodies than we were yesterday. Also, remember that Solomon is talking about life under the sun, and it's gloomy. But when Jesus came to earth, he was very clear about giving people hope beyond the grave. So I want you to hear the words of Jesus here at the end. Luke 20, 37, the Sadducees come and ask Jesus about the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, you got it. Some of you grew up in cultural Christianity. You know these things. Okay. The Sadducees asked Jesus about the resurrection of the dead. He makes it very clear that there is a resurrection coming, and then he cites Moses back at the burning bush for proof of this. He says this, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus, so interesting, goes back to Exodus chapter 3, a random little part of that account of the burning bush, and he cites how the Lord referred to himself in the burning bush. He, the Lord did not say, Moses, I speak to you from this bush. I was once the God of Abraham. I was once the God of Isaac. I was once the God of Jacob. No, he says, I am am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, implying that they are alive. That's what he's teaching. Jesus is showing that one of the things the burning bush showed is that when you die, you don't die when you are one of God's. That's why the psalmist can say, you will not leave me in the grave. That's why Asaph in Psalm 73, it says that God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Even the Old Testament, when they didn't know all that we know about the future, they didn't know about the person and work of Christ specifically like we do. They knew there was something more. And Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and says, you can find a glimmer of hope in how God refers to himself in the burning bush. He's the God of people who are alive. That's why the Men of Transfiguration is so encouraging to us. Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain and they see the glorified Christ, what it'll look like in the future as he's a victorious son of man, the conqueror. And oh, by the way, there are two other guys there. Moses and Elijah, they're alive. They're alive. 
So older person, I say all, this thing, all these things to you because I don't want you walking out of here or limping out of here, okay? <laughs> Just discouraged. I want you knowing there's something different coming and Jesus Christ wanted that to be clear for you. That's why we're given it in places like Luke 20 and 1 Corinthians 15 and in the resurrection accounts of Jesus. God is the God not of the dead, but of the living. So young people, two lessons for you to learn in your prime of life. Rejoice in your youth. Remember your creator in your youth. And I close with this. Young people, listen carefully. I close with these amazing words from Thoughts for Young Men. Young people, consider your responsibilities. Thinking of the privilege and luxury of doing good, Resolve this day to be useful. Give your hearts at once to Christ. Think of the happiness that will come to your own soul if you serve God. Happiness as you travel through life and happiness in the end when the journey is over. Believe me, says an older Ryle. Believe me. Whatever vain notions you may have heard, believe me. There is reward for the righteous even in this world. Godliness has indeed the promise of life, as well as of that which is to come. There is a solid peace in feeling that God is your friend. I want to read that again. Young people, listen. There is a solid peace in feeling that God is your friend. There is a real satisfaction in knowing that however your unworthiness, you are complete in Christ, that you have an enduring portion you have chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from you. Let's pray together. Father, we all collectively believe that uniting ourselves to you by faith in your Son's work brings us an everlasting peace, an everlasting hope, an everlasting life and abundance. So, Father, for everyone in this room, young and old, I pray that each day would be filled with purpose, meaning, efforts, endeavors, joy, satisfaction, and rest for our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.